Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alchemy Horizons Baldur's Gate Crash Course. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, are you ready to talk Adventures in Forgotten Realms? I mean, <laughs> excuse me, Battle for Baldur's Gate. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was... So the, the full preview dropped, what, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe? And... I I was just so surprised at how many AFR reprints we got without alchemy changes. <laughs> without alchemy changes, yeah. Somehow it seems like blue is worse than it was in AFR, which I'm not sure is was possible. Yeah, but I am uh, I'm excited to talk to you about this set, and and we will be focusing on this format uh, coming to Arena for the next couple months. I mean, uh, because it is sort of our our main summer set. It's going to be the format for the championship qualifier. Uh, this month it's also going to be the format for the arena open at the end of the month so this is uh this is where the bucks are going to be for the next couple weeks heck yeah i've been doing some double masters drafts which have been super fun so if you have a chance to do those either on magic online if the excel spreadsheet doesn't bother you or if you have a chance to go to your lgs i would highly recommend double masters 2022 yeah ben i feel like i feel like you don't often like hype up the sets but just before we were recording ben was like hey have you played any yet i said no he's like you should it's really sweet it i do not and i am very impressed with this format they they really succeeded in doing all 10 three color pairs without it turning into or three color shards and wedges without it turning into five color soup i think it's really impressive interesting yeah i i I gotta check it out i've been seeing the uh screenshots i really like didn't spend any time like looking at spoilers or whatever so but i've been seeing screenshots of of some trophy decks on twitter and in the discord and and it's got my interest peaked for sure so maybe i'll maybe i'll check that out after we record today but for now we're going to be talking all things alchemy horizons Baldur's gate this is coming to arena this thursday there's actually going to be a streamer early access event that's back um i will be participating in that i assume ben you will be participating in that i will be briefly participating that's going to be wedged (laughs) in between me teaching lessons and our first summer band rehearsal so i will be participating when i have time but summer is officially almost over (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, gosh, I thought I thought you had one more week. Oh, no. OK, well, well, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, and then we'll be diving in, uh, diving into this format next week. And what we're doing today is our standard crash course episode where we'll be going through uh, a lot of big picture stuff, looking at stats of how creatures and removal line up, looking at all the keywords in the format and uh, and how prevalent they are, where they're at in terms of the commons and uncommons. And we'll be looking at, you know, other things for limited like sweepers, flying and flying hate, lifelink, all that good stuff. And then we've graded all the cards in a spreadsheet that will be available to you where you download the show so you can check that out we won't be going over all those grades but we will be going over cards where we have a gradation difference so let's say i gave something a b minus and ben gave it a c because he he thinks it's terrible well we're going to talk about that so we're gonna i am ready to battle on that front (laughs) as well i have not been this excited to argue about cards in quite a while I can't wait. It's going to be great. And that's my favorite part, too. And then we'll get to our top three commons in each color and our top two uncommons in each color. Just a little bit of housekeeping before we get into that. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. We've got a lot of great stuff over on the Patreon in terms of our reward tiers. But everybody who gives back gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is, as we always say, the place to be when a new set drops. This is where you're going to want to go head on over to the trophy channel, see what's winning, go on over to like, what's the pick? What's the build? What's the plays? All great conversations happening in the Discord in the early weeks of the format. It's really, really a great place to be. Uh, and then a lot of other stuff as you move up the reward tiers. And of course, we want to welcome our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week, we are welcoming Jason B., Jason T., and Patrick. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, I cannot say thank you enough. And I know we seriously say that every week, but the world is 
an insane place right now. And the fact that people take time out of their week to go onto a website to pledge money every episode is it's incredible. Like, so seriously, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything you need Magic the Gathering related. You can't purchase Alchemy Horizons Baldur's Gate cards at Channel Fireball <laughs> because they are digital only, but there is a Paper Commander Legends version. So if you're so inclined, you pick up some sealed product or singles of that. In addition, they've got Double Masters sealed product and singles. This draft format is a banger. So if you may want to get a box and save it for a sweet draft with some friends for some time, you can do that over at Channel Fireball on their marketplace where you can also support your LGS. And if that's not enough for you, there's also written strategy content for both of those formats and more on CFP Pro, which you can essentially get your money back on by subscribing to it with store credit that they give you if you join at $9.99 a month. So for any and all that over at Channel Fireball, Make sure you use code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there. All right. You ready to crash into Adventures in the Forgotten Realm 2.0? I am ready to do it. Let's go. All right. Let's start off with the stats, baby. So here we're going to be looking at a few numbers that are generally the same from format to format, looking at average creature power and toughness, the average removal mana value, and the average creature mana value to sort of give us a sense of how the removal lines up with the creatures. And then we'll go through sort of looking at how the removal, you know, that's that's scaled with the game, like dealing with X1s and X2s. But first off, the average creature power and toughness is 2.55 slash 2.72, which is generally what we see. We generally see about like a 2.5 and then about a quarter to sometimes even all the way up to a half a point bump. So generally like a 2.5 power, three toughness creature-ish. Streets of Nukapenna for reference was a little different. It was kind of weird in that it was a format of three twos. So it was actually one of the first sets we've seen where it was had a lower average toughness than the power. Yeah. And we don't want formats like that. So glad to see that toughness is back (laughs) up higher than power here. Looking at the average removal mana value, that is three. And in comparison, SNC was 2.92. So almost exactly the same average converted mana cost for removal. And the average creature mana value is 3.5. And in streets, it was 3.32. So just about the same in terms of getting a little bit of uh, a decreased rate in terms of your interaction, just like you you know, average going to spend three mana on the removal and three and a half mana on your creatures. Yeah. And so that generally points to removal being efficient enough to being pretty good in the format. For sure. So what number or percentage does specific removal hit of the 102 creatures at common run common? Well, starting off with X1s, the only real X1 hate like straight up is Shambling Ghast coming back from uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. It's a single black for a 1-1 zombie. When it dies, you choose one target creature and opponent controls gets minus one, minus one until end of turn, or you can make a treasure token. There are also other things that punish X1s specifically. Specifically, like Pilgrim's Eye, I cannot wait for that card. Uh, This is the three mana 1-1 flyer that ETBs and grabs you a basic land from your library. So those sorts of things are going to punish one toughness creatures as well. And there are 23 total creatures with one toughness, and that is about 23% because all these numbers are going to basically be the percent um, because there's 102 total creatures. Moving on to the X2s, we've got Improvised Weaponry. This is another AFR reprint. Two in a red for a sorcery, deals two damage to any target, and make a treasure token. There's also a new card, Sewer Plague, which is two in a black for an instant. Target creature and opponent controls perpetually gets minus two, minus two, and gains at the beginning of each upkeep this creature perpetually gets minus one minus one so you know can deal with two toughness creatures immediately or larger creatures over time there's gonna be 27 creatures with toughness two which brings us to 50 total creatures and that's 49 percent. so about half of the creatures are gonna die to that two toughness removal 
There's also a mini sweeper here in Breath yeah. Weapon that's two and a red for an instant, which deals two damage to each non-dragon creature. So that'll hit those creatures as well. Moving on to the X3s, we have another AFR reprint in Dragon's Fire. This is one and a red for an instant. Deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker. But there's also a bunch of additional text that basically says you can reveal a dragon card from your hand or choose a dragon you have in play, and you can deal damage uh, equal to that creature's power instead. Um, so can deal three could sometimes deal more um but we'll we'll say it's dealing three for our purposes here there are 24 creatures with toughness three which brings us up to 74 total or 73 percent of all the creatures moving on to the x4s we've got mephit's enthusiasm which is one in a red for a sorcery it deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker if excess damage was dealt that way note that excess damage and you get a boon with whenever you cast your next creature spell it perpetually gets plus x plus o where x is the noted number and boons are essentially just delayed triggers yeah um so there's 18 creatures total with toughness four which brings us up to 92 total or 90 percent of the creatures overall moving on to the x5s there's actually quite a bit of removal that that targets five toughness as well which is effectively just killing anything in the format or anything non-rare in the format. We've got Ferida's Fireball back, which is three red red for an instant. Deal five damage to target creature or planeswalker. And you roll a d20. And if it's one to nine, you deal two damage to each player. And if it's 10 to 20, you deal two damage just to the opponent. I just felt a very averse reaction when you said you roll a d20. <laughs> so many <laughs> critical hits on me in AFR. <laughs> <laughs> We've also got Spiked Pit Trap, one mana for the artifact with Flash, five, tap, sack it, choose target creature, then roll a d20. One to nine, you deal five to that creature, and 10 to 20, you deal five to that creature and create a treasure token. And lastly, you hear something on watch, which is one in a white for an instant. Choose one, creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn, or the spell deals five damage to target attacking creature. And this... This was an overperformer, I'd say. This this card was good in AFR in in white controlling decks. Absolutely, I like that card. And then, so that's going to hit just five creatures with toughness five, but ninety seven total or ninety five percent. And then as far as X6s go, there's a lot of stuff that deals straight up with creatures no matter what their size is. And we've got five creatures with toughness six, and all of those removal spells that hit everything are obviously going to deal with all the creatures. And then just wanted to check one other thing, which is there's a card, Guiding Bolt. This is two and a white instant, destroy target creature with power four or greater, and then you scry two. And this is uh, an uncommon in this format. So I wanted to check out how many creatures there are with power four or greater, and there's 25. Um, and that's not including the backside of some specialized cards that will get bigger. Um, so just, just including the front faces of all the cards. Um, so 25. So about a quarter of the creatures are going to get hit with Guiding Bolt. So you're sideboarding only that, Yes. That's my feeling. I mean, I guess you could main deck it, but as we'll see in just a second, white really has a ton of removal, so I don't think you're going to need to do that. Right. You have you hear something on watch for two mana. Now, granted, that can't reach out and kill it, but I don't know. That's that's my feeling as well. So let's let's chat about removal. So in the spreadsheet where we grade all the cards, we'll also have all of the removal listed and what it hits. Um, here we've got 19 removal spells at common or uncommon, which is about the average we usually see, something in the high teens, low 20s. Streets of New Capenna had 26, but that was sort of an outlier because five of those were the, the cycle of charms. So that's why that number is higher. And again, the average removal cost is three. So you're going to be getting a slight mana advantage on the removal that you're targeting most creatures with. Um, we have actually a nice little split here, 12 at common and 7 at uncommon. Um, so uh, more common removal spells than uncommon, which is, is good for us limited folks. And as far as noteworthy things about the removal, white has a ton of removal this time around. It's got six removal spells in total, 
black has five and red has four. I think this is the first time ever that black and red haven't had the most removal spells. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, Green only has one removal spell, one bite spell at common. And blue has two sort of charm. It actually has charmed sleep, but two sort of like, you know, tap a thing, keep it tapped variants. Yeah, and then things we didn't count in this removal on the spreadsheet were counter spells. There's a really good one, unfortunately, I think for my life, <laughs> under simplify, which is one in a blue for an instant. Choose target spell. If it's a creature spell, it perpetually gets minus two minus O, and then you counter that spell unless its controller pays two. This card is looking pretty good. Yeah, I think that's the primo blue common, but maybe that's just uh, make disappear PTSD. And then we got a couple cancel variants in you find the villain's lair and dream fracture, both one blue blue counter spells. Um, there's some artifact slash enchantment destruction. Red has a shatter effect and you find some prisoners, one in a red, destroy target artifact, and then you can also do a sort of anticipate on your opponent's library. There's also you line up the shot, which is green for an instant, and you can choose one, conjure a plummet into your hand, conjure a naturalize into your hand, and so those are destroy a creature with flying or destroy target artifact or enchantment, respectively. Or if you don't want to use those stuff, you can fire a warning shot and draw a card. Yeah, that card seems pretty sweet. That's just like best of one written all over it. Um, I didn't count the mini sweeper breath weapon that we talked about. I also didn't count active treason variant, which we do have. It's alive and well. Incessant provocation is three and a red for a sorcery. Gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap that creature. It gains haste until end of turn and it perpetually gains. This creature attacks each combat if able. What do you think? Is uh, is one more mana going to make price of loyalty not so good this format? I think it is still going to be oppressive from looking at the spoiler. This just looks like AFR. I don't want to be negative right off the bat, but <laughs> the fact that there are no alchemy changes to the good AFR cards or buffs yeah. to the poor blue AFR cards is just wild to me if they're going to market this as an alchemy limited format. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little confusing. And then lastly, another sort of plummet variant. There's choose your weapon, which lets you either double target creatures power and toughness until end of turn, or the spell deals five damage to target creature with flying. But I think that's uh, generally just not going to be even as good as just when you have access to you line up the shot. I feel like that's going to take that kind of spot every time. For sure. So if you've not dipped your toe into the digital world of alchemy yet, uh, which is totally understandable. Uh, it's not been around for very long and there's not been very many opportunities to do it as a limited player. We've got some alchemy mechanics here, both returning and new. So our first returning alchemy mechanic that we want to take you through before we dip into some other stuff is Conjure. Um, and Conjure creates cards that were not originally in your deck or sideboard, but they play as normal cards in your hand, graveyard, whatever, after being created. So they're not tokens like you actually conjure a magic the gathering card uh perpetually we already sort of talked about this on sewer plague this is an effect on a card that applies permanently for the rest of the game regardless of zone changes so you know you do do that minus two minus two creature gains minus two minus two perpetually if it dies from that effect and you return it to your hand well guess what it's going to be a zero zero. So um, that's that's just going to stick around for the whole game. Next up is seek, which means you get a random card from your library that meets the seek criteria. So, for example, something will say seek a non land card and then you will randomly get a non land card from your deck or it'll be seek a card with mana value three or less non land card mana value three or less from your deck. And then you get a random card that meets those criteria. So that's what seek is random card. And then there'll be parameters for what you seek. And it doesn't shuffle. So if you've like scribe or you mulligan to put a card on the bottom, that's not going to then get shuffled back in. Ooh, nice. 
Uh, Spellbook is the last returning alchemy mechanic. Spellbook is 15 cards that is attached to a card. And so it says when you draft from a spellbook, you're going to see three cards at random from those 15 possibilities, and then you'll get to pick one of them. And then we've got some new mechanics that are specific to Horizons Baldur's Gate. And the first one of those is Specialize, which is the infamous six-sided cards (laughs) that you may have seen floating around on Twitter and Reddit, whatnot. Um, Specialize lets you pay mana and then discard a color or a land type of your choice to change your card to a new card with its effects. And the change depends on which color you discard it. So you have a specialized card that is a color. And then there's versions of that that are gold color pairs of every color. So if you have a white specialized card and you discard a green card or discard a forest, you specialize into the white, green, gold version of this card. So one thing that helped me out, I was very confused at first on Scryfall. So if you haven't identified this, um, these cards feature a circled upward pointing triangle in the upper left corner of the card for the original card. And then all of the specialized versions have like this five branching pathways in the upper left. So that's a way to identify whether you're on the original card or one of the specialized variants. Ooh, good hack. Good hack. Okay. Next up, we've got double team. Uh, So when a creature with double team attacks, if it's not a token, you conjure a duplicate of the original into your hand, and then both cards lose double team. So pretty sweet way to get like some card advantage just by our attack with this creature, get a copy of it into my hand, uh, and then they both lose it. So you don't continually get to like, you know, chain those effects together. Okay, so I want an answer to the question that I asked you in Discord that you ghosted me on savagely. Oh my god, when was this? I don't know, a few days ago. I said, is double team busted or am I just dumb? Oh my god, wait, where is the, Where is this? You messaged me directly? Yeah. Oh, oh my god, I'm seeing it Six, right now. 629, 2022. <laughs> Oh no! I just I just ghosted you. I'm so sorry. Uh, no, it, uh, sorry. Uh, five days later, I will answer your question. And I will tell you. Yes, it does just seem busted to me. Yeah, it's so good, right? Like it seems to me like shield counters in the sense of like I think even bad looking creatures with double team are going to be very good and are going to warp the game because you're as the opponent you're going to have to do everything you can to make sure that creature doesn't have a profitable attack, right? Ever and as the aggressor you can often i I feel like it's also just gonna like even if you're two one like there's a a white has a a goblin biker just a two mana two one that has double team well even if that can get eaten by your opponent it's still presenting an additional attacker that then's going to gain you another attacker so like it can allow you to push damage by sacrificing its body in the attack you know it's just going to be i think very very good yeah all right lastly here we've got boon which is a way to represent delayed triggers similar to an emblem but once that trigger then happens the boon goes away it's going to disappear from the battlefield all right keyword and archetype support so looking at double team there are eight creatures with double team this is concentrated in red and white so four red three white and then one blue no cards that care about triggering double team and then a couple of cards in unexpected allies and liara of the flaming fist that can give double team so that's like the red white gold uncommon in Liara, and then a red uh, common in Unexpected Allies. Moving on to Specialize. There are 10 cards with Specialize times five, which is each of their backsides. <laughs> so really like 50 cards with Specialize. I mean, it's not really 50. So if you haven't looked at the specialized cards, they can be really overwhelming, but they're honestly all sort of the same. Like, yes, there, there are five unique cards, but oftentimes they like when they flip, they do the same thing. And then it's like, but this, the white one has lifelink and the black one has menace. Like they're, they're not that different from each other. I, again, I don't want to be 
negative Nancy here, but I'm going to take two seconds to complain about this mechanic. I am a heavily invested magic player. Like we have, I have a podcast with you. Like I care about limited. Yeah, I could not get through trying to like figure out these cards and if they were good and if like the green white version of one was good but the red white wasn't i i tried on the first one and then i was like oh man this is stupid i give up and i just graded them on their front side only and like didn't look at the back sides at all and i came up with the same grades as you and alex <laughs> what what's what, what you're complaining about the words obviously but then what is the the moral of this story i think the moral of the story is that if you're like me and specialize makes your eyes gloss over, you can just look at the original card, I think, and figure out if it's a pretty good specialized card because the mechanic itself is expensive, right? To turn it into a specialized. So like you get the front side of the card, which I think you should evaluate as, do I want this card at this rate? And then the specialized is kind of like discarding a land, ideally probably, Mm -hmm. to turn it into an aura to like buff up your creature right that's a way to kind of like frame specialize in your head and there are some really good ones i'd say a lot of them are really good because oftentimes when they flip they will provide you with a card worth of value um so you're often getting that back with your you know you're discarding your land or your actual spell to flip it but then you're usually getting a card's worth back so i agree but i I think you know sometimes the specialized cost is two and that's pretty cheap sometimes the specialized cost is expensive in like five and that should factor into you know how often you think you're going to actually be flipping it etc for sure next up we've got boon there are seven cards that give you a boon three in white two in red one in green and one red green so concentrated in naya or cabaretti for you streets fans and again no real synergy with boon and it is kind of weird that all the mechanics are like self-contained without any sort of like payoff or build aroundy thing right right there's nothing that cares about you double teaming there's nothing that cares about you specializing other than the specialized cards that like give you the benefit when they specialize themselves but there's no like do a bunch of this thing and you'll get paid off with any of the mechanics like we usually see in a format and there is a big dragons theme i mean dungeons and dragons the set there's no dungeons this time around but There's a lot of dragons, 23 total at common or uncommon. I was very skeptical. I was very curious and very skeptical. I kept seeing dragon, dragon, dragon. I was like, how many dragons can there actually be? And there's a reasonable amount. And there's like cheap ones too, right? Like green has a mana dork that's a dragon. It's like a two mana O2. Red has a two mana 2-2 that can sacrifice itself to add mana in a burst. Uh, Blue, I believe, has a cheap looter that's a dragon. So they're not all like, you know, big six and seven mana spells. Right. And the the dragon's theme is definitely concentrated in red, green and blue. Like those color pairs, uh, combinations thereof are the ones that care about dragons the most. Um, And then let's just take a look at the color pairs and like what they're supposed to be doing. Looks like blue, white is like ETB blank medium supported. I, I think the signpost on common really points to this pretty well in OG, the exquisite blade two white blue for a two, three human monk. When it enters the battlefield, you gain two life and scry two. And then whenever you cast your second spell each turn, you exile up to one target creature you control, then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control, which is pretty sweet that you have a nice ETB tacked onto this. So whenever you double spell, you'll always have a good blink target with OG in play, right? There's another sweet card. Uh, that is sweet for several reasons. One is that adventurers are back, which we have not talked yeah. about yet, which is a, an awesome limited mechanic, but also is a sort of pseudo expensive build around for this archetype. So we've got Pegasus Guardian, which is five and a white for a three, three with flying. At the beginning of your end step of a permanent you controlled left the battlefield this turn, you make a one, one white Pegasus creature token with flying. 
And then the adventure side is called Rescue the Foal, one in a white for an instant, and lets you exile target creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. So very cool card there. Yeah. Next up, we got Blue Black, which is the sort of like unblockable rogue thievery, like, you know, sneak in and then get on hit effects. This was... I would think a little clunky in uh, AFR, but at least had some good reasons for you to want to like get stuff in unblockable because of uh, venturing into the dungeon. So you had this like sort of progressive thing you were trying to accomplish uh, without dungeons and, and that being removed. It's it's definitely less supported, I think. Yeah, it does not look very strong to me at all from looking at the spoiler. Next up, we've got Red Black Treasure and Red Black Sacrifice, as if Red Black doesn't need more, but it's got two themes, both of which are super supported, and it looks Mm -hmm. to me on first glance that Red Black is going to be King of the Roost again. Yes, I agree for sure. Uh, Red Green, uh, as we said before, Red Green, Blue Red, and Blue Green are all the same-ish. I'd say they're dragons, but like probably different flavors. Red Green is probably going to be like beat down. It's signpost uncommon. It's not super exciting, and Thrakus the Butcher Three red green for a three four with trample and whenever it attacks double the power of each dragon you control until end of turn. Green white life gain is back almost identical from Adventures in Forgotten Realms and is very supported and we've got a lot of the same build arounds the the green white gold uncommon Trellisara moon dancer is green white for a two two whenever you gain life put a plus plus one counter on it and a scry one and all the familiar friends are there lurking roper the four five that untaps when you gain a life so very similar to AFR. Yeah, white black is billed as leaves the battlefield, so I guess sort of like revolt if you played back in uh, back in the Kaladesh days. Um, but again, this this seems like one of the, the weaker archetypes. And then blue red, we've got that dragons theme going on again. And I was very skeptical of this card on first read, but after the number of dragons and the number of adventure cards I've seen, I've got some hope. This is uh, Lozon Dragons Legacy. Three blue red for a four two flying dragon shaman. And whenever you cast an adventure spell or a dragon spell, this deals damage equal to that spell's mana value to any target that isn't a commander. Uh, next up is green black, which is reanimate slash graveyard value. Looks medium supported. I- I'd say maybe even medium plus in the sense of, uh, you know, I feel like we- we've been poo-pooing it, but then it was actually quite nice in uh, in Neon Dynasty, certainly thanks to Sagas. But I like the signpost on common here in Kaga Shadow Archdruid, which is two black green for a 1-4 as whenever it attacks, it gains death touch until end of turn and you mill two cards. And once during each of your turns, you may play a land or cast a permanent spell from among cards in your graveyard that were put there from your library this turn. Yeah, that's a super powerful card. In addition, we've got a common uh, raise dead reanimate effect in summon undead. Four and a black for a sorcery. You can mill three, then return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So the tools are there, I think, for a black green reanimate deck and just getting value out of the graveyard too. There's a lot of ways to enable it. There's a common uh, called Circle of the Land Druid, which again, initially I was not excited about, but after seeing all the support, I think this has a home. It's a one and a green for a one one. And when it ETBs, you mill four. And then when it dies, you return a land card from your graveyard to your hand. So like you're not particularly excited about any of that, but all told, if you're using the graveyard, you want some lands, you've got some sacrifice stuff like this could be a, a synergy piece in a deck. I think another really good looking archetype is white red, which is double team aggro seems like typical aggro deck, but double team just gives you that built in card advantage that is often what white red sort of needs to to push itself over the top. I'm thinking back to, you know, red, white aggro and Eldrain was so good, thanks in large part to adventure being there. And I think double team is going to serve a similar purpose. And then blue green again, we've got that ramp slash dragons theme going on and the signpost uncommon is Corlesa Scale Singer 
which is green blue for a 1-4. You can look at the top card of your library anytime and you can cast dragon spells from the top of your library. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. I, I guess I just don't know, like how much are the cheap dragons going to be good? How many dragons can you get? Are you going to have like an 11 dragon deck? Is that is that going to be a thing? I cannot imagine that you're going to have <laughs> that many dragons in your deck, but we'll see. We'll, we will see. Next up, we've got fixing and there is a lot of fixing in this set that is green and colorless and a lot of it is very good. I want to shout out the two uh, two sweet commons that we have. Pilgrim's Eye we already mentioned, but can't mention it enough. Three mana for the 1-1 one, one flyer when it ETBs. You grab a basic land card from your library and put it into your hand. And Prophetic Prism, which is a two mana artifact, ETBs and you draw a card and then it filters uh, a color of mana. So you pay one, tap, and you add one mana of any color to your mana pool. There's also a common Lantern of Revealing. Three mana tap, add one mana of any color, and you can pay four tap. Look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you put it on the battlefield tap. You don't put the card onto the battlefield. You can put it onto the bottom of your library. So you get a little ramp action potentially, like a good mana sink and some scry action later in the game. I think this does pretty well for a mana rock that adds one of any color. I think so too. There's also treasure, as we talked about, uh, red, black being a, a treasure theme in that color pair, and a, a really good looking green common, underseller myconid, two and a green for a one two. When it ETBs or dies, you make a one one green sapperling creature token, and you can tap to add one mana of any color. Wait, or dies? Whoa, yeah. I skipped yeah. over those two words there. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good card. What a card. <laughs> Love it. I liked it before and I like it even more now. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the next category, we've got incidental life gain. So there's a ton of incidental life gain in green white and not much in the other colors. So vampire spawn is back as a non green white one that's two and a black for a two three when ETBs you drain two gain two card was proven to be great last time when we had Adventures in Forgotten Realms. There's also the blue black gold uncommon Cradle of Baldur's Gate that uh, gains you life when it connects on the opponent. And then there's Again, those cards we mentioned that care about you gaining life. But again, this is rather than incidental life gain throughout the whole format, which can potentially be problematic for aggro decks and slow the format down. This is mostly a theme in green white. All right, let's see how much we're going to be punished for affecting the board, Ben, with these sweepers in the format. So first up, we've got blood money, which is five black black for a sorcery. Destroy all creatures. For each non-token creature destroyed this way, you create a tapped treasure token. I was so excited about this card when I first read it because I was like, oh, well, this sort of mitigates. Yeah, it's expensive, but it mitigates what what the problem with sweepers is, is that usually your opponent gets to affect the board first. So maybe this will let you cast a creature afterwards with the treasure. But no, the treasure comes into play tapped. Wah, wah. Do you think we're going to get tapped treasure for the rest of time? Probably. I, I guess. I guess it was too broken. I don't know. Yeah. Next up, we've got Chaos Baylor, which is three red red for a four five demon with flying. And whenever it attacks or dies, you choose two and each mode must target a different player. So target player discards all the cards in their hand and seeks that many non land cards or Chaos Baylor deals two damage to target player and they create two treasure tokens. Or finally, the wrath portion. Chaos Baylor deals two damage to each creature target player controls. Those creatures perpetually get plus two plus oh. So you can potentially wreck your opponent's board with that. Or if you've got some big creatures, you can perpetually buff them. There's also a weird edicty party sweeper called Stick Together. It's three white white for rare sorcery. Each player chooses a party from among creatures they control then sacrifices the rest. So to choose a party, you choose up to one each of cleric, rogue, warrior, and wizard. So you could potentially build towards this. I think there's uh, certainly clerics and rogues, I think like less warriors and wizards around. Um, don't have exact numbers on that, but a quick scryfall search will give you that. Uh, and I 
think this could be potentially sweet. Like this gives me medium farewell vibes. Like maybe you could turn this into a one-sided sweeper. I don't know. Yeah, you sold me on weird edicty wrath or whatever you call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, really uh, strong, strong case there. And then we've also got breath weapon, which is that two damage each non-dragon creature uh, uncommon for two and a red. Next up, we want to look at mana sinks, which we like to define as repeatable places to put mana. And there's not really that many, right, that actually give you incremental card advantage, right? Like, so you've got double team as a, you know, it's sort of a mana sink and that it's going to draw you a card that you can cast, specialize as a place to put mana to get additional resources or whatever, but not really that sort of, I don't know, just activate this thing to make a token or activate this thing to draw a card type. Yeah, most of them are combat pumps. And I think the best of those is Steadfast Unicorn. It's white for a one, two. You can pay three and a white creatures you control plus one plus one and vigilance until the end of the turn. That one's pretty strong, I think. But then there's also pseudo dragon familiar. It's a two and a blue two one flying and you can pay two and a blue to give target creature flying until end of turn and more in that vein where they are like put mana here to give your creatures some sort of combat related buff. The only ones that actually kind of give you card advantage are uh, bag of holding, which is a reprint from AFR and something else even before that one mana whenever you discard mm. a card exile that card from your graveyard Two tap draw a card then discard a card and four tap sacrifice bag of holding return all cards exiled with it to their owner's hand i just want to go back and, and say that i feel like you're leading the witness a little bit um, for our <laughs> listeners you're like oh steadfast unicorn which i think is just gonna be really sweet and I have, I get nothing. I can't just be like, no, that card is poop. I mean, we gotta, you're welcome you're... <laughs> to state that case and be incorrect. I mean, that's Ow. certainly an option for you. All right. All right. We're almost there. We're almost there. I'm ready to fight, <laughs> ready to battle. Uh, last thing we like to look at is flying and flying hate. Flying is good and limited, as the people say. There are 18 creatures total with flying uh, really spread out. We have five white, four blue, three black, two red, one green, the blue red signpost uncommon and then two colorless. And also we have cloak of the bat, which is a, a pretty darn clunky equipment Two mana equipment equipped creature. He has flying and haste for a cost of two and pseudo dragon familiar, which is a three mana two one in blue with flying that can also uh, give another creature flying until end of turn for two and a blue. We've got two creatures with reach. We've got Dryder as a reprint, which is no bueno. And then we've no. got Edder cap, which is a new card four and a green for a two five with reach and its adventure is web shot, tuna green for an instant, destroy target creature with flying. Just like super wreck the flying decks with that yes. card. <laughs> and then we've also got arcane archery as a trick that can give reach. Tuna green for an instant, target creature gets plus three, plus three, gains reach and trample until end of turn. And then you get a boon that says when you cast your next creature spell, that creature ETBs with an additional plus one, plus one counter a reach counter and a trample counter. Talk to me about this card because I like it quite a bit. Am I just in love with it too much or do you see some potential here are you, are you saying this because i graded it lower than you i don't remember at all i just um, i'm honestly I, curious I, about your opinion on this card i'm not trying to think it's you <laughs> i think it's really i feel i'm i'm very much i've got my defenses up already um <laughs> i think it's really good but i also think it costs three mana yeah i mean that's a bit of a rub but it plays well on offense and then the bonus you get the boon is pretty real, yeah? Yeah, the bo boons are a really interesting mechanic, I think, because something that I kept having to remind myself when we were looking at boon, so I did, a, a, actually, I, I should have mentioned this already, did a full card-by-card -card set review with uh, Alex, aka Quarter Calls, on my stream, which is also up now in full on the Lords of Limited YouTube channel, as well as available in podcast form on the Limited Level Ups podcast feed. Um, so if you want that deep 
card by card content, we have that covered for you as well. Um, and one of the things that I kept having to remind myself or Alex kept having to mention was like, Boone is so interesting because you sort of get to choose or you just like the effect is different on different creatures, right? Putting a count, a buff on a creature with flying or a creature with lifelink is different than just, you know, random ground derp. And so sort of being able to craft your deck or, or sculpt your hand or your, your turns in a way that really maximizes boon is going to change the value of that boon from game to game. Ooh, yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> Funny story. Someone when I was streaming in Twitch chat was like, I really wish that Ethan and Alex would invite you to their set review sometime. Do you feel bad that like they <laughs> they don't let you do that? That's like one no, <laughs> no interest in doing that. Once upon a time, I would have thought I had an interest, but then also like it's just way better for the podcast for you and my first time to be talking about the cards together on the podcast. Yes, yeah, that's what I think. I was like, I would love to do a set review with you, but it removes the best part of the crash course in my mind, which is when we get to just argue off the cuff about the cards. Boom. Uh, last thing is flying hate. We already mentioned choose your weapon and you line up the shot as those sort of plummet variants or actually conjuring the card plummet into your hand. Um, so, you know, actually a, a fair bit of ways to interact with the flyers in the format and no surprise reach, it seems. No secret reach. Let's go. Yeah, maybe no secret reach. All right, let's get to the grading scale. What's going on there? It's only going to be 49 takes this time. <laughs> Moving on to the grading scale, we've got your A's, your bombs, your game winners, cards that are good in many situations, especially when behind, the best cards in the set, bomb rares, and hyper-efficient spells, cards like Sanctuary Warden, All-Seeing Arbiter, Inspiring Overseer, and Titan of Industry. And we should mention this is the classic limited resources grading scale that we are borrowing from them. Uh, next up is... Next up, we've got Bs, which are strong cards that pull you into a color, make you want to play that color, reasons to be in a particular color or combination of colors, like Dusk Mangler, Disciplined Duelist, Fairy Vandal, Rafine's Informant, and Civil Servant. I also just want to take a second. I put Inspiring Overseer in the A's. I would just like to point out everyone's all, Inspiring Overseer's not a bomb. It doesn't take over the game. Like Definitions of A's go beyond bombs, right? They're best yes. cards in the set and hyper-efficient spells. Inspiring Overseer yeah. meets both of those very well, right? One thing that came up when we were grading this time around, because I am very picky about the A's that I give out, but I did give an A to Skullport Merchant and uh, Battlecry Goblin because they're efficiency A's. They're just so game warping with how like tightly compact they are. Yeah, for sure. And it's, Inspiring Overseer fits that bill for sure. All right, moving on to your C's, your solid playables, the meat and potatoes of a limited deck, very interchangeable, average creatures, normal removal spells, cards like Skycrier, Obscura Initiate, Civic Gardener, or Corrupt Court Official. Your D's are sometimes playable, below average, 22nd, 23rd type cards, very replaceable. Join the Maestros, Backstreet Bruiser, Capenna Express, Paragon of Modernity. Your Fs are your unplayables, cards you should never put in your deck, or weird rares, cards like Meeting of the Five, Luxior Giada's Gift, or Cut Your Losses. So with those grades, we'll be giving like plus or minuses as well, like, like in your school grades, just to sort of differentiate between the Bs. And then we'll also give a couple augmentation grades as well. First up is sideboard cards. These are cards that don't make the main deck, but when you board them in, can be quite good. Cards like Broken Wings or an offer you can't refuse. We've also got build around cards, which are cards that don't do much on their own, but when you build around them, they can be good to great. So cards like Bootlegger Stash or Arcane Bombardment. And I think there are actually a few sweet 
build around rares looking at this format. So I'm excited about that. Lastly, we're looking at synergy cards. And these are cards that are not good enough to build around. They're not like the crux of the deck, but they provide good synergy if they're in the right deck. So sort of like, you know, they make a deck greater than the sum of its parts. So cards like Backup Agent, Big Score, Pyre Sledge Arsonist, I think is a real one here. Ceremonial Groundbreaker, thinking about the amount of citizens you have, that type of thing. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. Gloves are off. Gloves are off. Starting with the white cards. Oh, first up, it's your boy, Steadfast Unicorn. Single white for a 1-2. Creature Unicorn, you can pay 3 and a white to give creatures you control plus 1 plus 1 and Vigilance until end of turn, but you can activate only during your turn. I am outraged, first of all, that Alex gave us a D because it seems like this is his type of card, but I gave us a C, you gave us a D. This looks like a great white aggressive card, right? With threat of activation, you're going to be able to, once you have four mana up, you essentially have an anthem for your team that you can threaten to activate that you don't have to spend mana on, right? Yeah, that's true. I just think that's not worth it attached to this bad body, right? Like, you're not going to be sure you can threaten to activate it. But like, so you have this creature and another creature and you attack in, you're very likely not going to want to activate it in the developing stages of the game, right? So on turn four or five or six or whatever, probably not going to want to activate it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just really, you didn't really see a card like this in Zendikar Rising. There was, it was a one mana, one, two, and the activation was five, I think, not four. And that card was good. This is cheaper activation. It was good, but it wasn't a C. You weren't like, it was, I've, I, my memory of that card was that it was replaceable, that it was like, I ended the draft and I wasn't like, darn, if I only had that card, my deck would be good. It's like, I'll, I'll play it if, I'll, and usually I was playing it more because if I cared about its types because of the party stuff. Yeah, I agree with all those things you're saying. And that was my initial impression of the card. But every time it was on the battlefield, it ended up being relevant. I don't know. I've got really high hopes for Steadfast Unicorn. I mean, yeah, I could be totally missing on this, but it, maybe my memory is just skewed from Zendikar Rising. Like, it sounds like we're both remembering the card, but remembering it differently. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Next up, we've got Valiant Farewell. You gave us a C. I gave us a D plus. This is one and a white for an instant target creature you control gets plus two plus oh until end of turn. When that creature leaves the battlefield this turn, you get a boon with when you cast your next creature spell, it perpetually gets plus two plus oh. Draw a card. I mean, I think draw a card cannot be denied. The text draw a card. So this is not like it's not majestic metamorphosis, not even close. It feels a little bit closer to like fake your own death to me a little bit. So like you're going to get the card back because you're going to draw a card. You're not going to get a rebuy of an ETB effect, but you're like going to going to kill this thing in combat, draw a card. And then the next thing you play is going to be big. And if the next thing you play, like, I don't know if you play your 2-2 lifelink, if you play a little flyer, that's really powerful. I disagree in some senses. I mean, this is not fake your own death in that, like, fake your own death keeps board presence. This puts a card in your hand. Like, to mm -hmm. me, this is much closer to a better way to frame this is like you maybe get your creature to trade up in combat, but then you also, it's like a Satessin training, right? Like plus one, plus oh, draw a card. It's like that much more than it is fake your own death. And I'm not very excited about a card like Satessin training. Okay, how about how about this? How about we frame it like this? It's like kind of like Bless Defiance or Bone Splinters. So it's going to kill the thing in combat. It's like kill a creature, sack a creature, draw a card, and then the next thing you play has plus two, plus oh. Yes, that, that is what the card says. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm trying to frame it in like, you know, I, I feel like my, my first, like, it's not quite fake your own death, not quite majestic metamorphosis. I do feel like it's like a cantripping bone splinters that then makes your next creature good. I think that's a good, good trick. 
can't bone splinters you can cast at any time. You have to line your creature up when you're attacking. Remember Bless Defiance? That ha- I mean, that gave lifelink. That was good. But that card was really, really good. It didn't say draw a card. It just left you with a 1-1. Yeah. Again, <laughs> it left you with board presence. I don't know, man. Like, All right. I, I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I don't think this is quite as good as you think it is, but I think it's probably better than my initial read of it as well. I, I will maybe go up to C minus, but I don't think you're going to be like, yeah, got some valiant farewells in my white deck. I'm really doing it. You know, I, I disagree. <laughs> I got it. We're going to have to we're going to have to to uh, to wait and see on this one, too. <laughs> Off to a rough start. Off to a rough start. Yeah. over for two. All right. Next up, we've got blessed hippogriff. This is three and a white for a two, three hippogriff. Sorry. Is this blessed or blessed? I think this is blessed. Blessed hippogriff. Blessed hippogriff. All right. Yeah. Blessed hippogriff is three and a white for a two, three with flying. It says whenever it attacks target attacking creature without flying gains flying until end of turn. And it's even got an adventure side, which is tears blessing. Single white for an instant target creature gains indestructible until end of turn. Yeah, you gave us a C. I gave us a B minus. I love this card. And frankly, I'm outraged that you don't as well. Spoiler alert. This is my top white common. And this card looks insanely good to me. Yes, I think this card is very good. And I'm probably underrating it at C. And I will go up to C plus and I could even see it being B minus. I don't think it will unseat Priest of Ancient Lore as the uh, the top blue cop as the top white common in my mind. Um, but I'm probably underrating this. But I I think I'm a little worried about four mana two three that like doesn't push damage the turn it comes into play. You know, like I feel like it's a big lesson that I've learned over the past year or two years that like your four mana plus plays have to like really do something special. And I, I recognize that this is very powerful on offense. The fact that it doesn't do anything when it ETBs and the fact that it's not good when you're behind has me just slightly nervous about it. I mean, Tears Blessing is really efficient. That's a big part of why it's so powerful, right? So I think in comparison to Priest of Ancient Lore, right? So you're three mana, two, one, draw a card. You're definitely drawing a card that is action with Blessed Hippogriff in Tears Blessing that's going to be able to like, you're going to have double team in these colors, right? You're going to be able to swing give a double team thing indestructible if maybe it was going to trade and your your opponents are going to be incentivized to try to block those or kill those or whatever so that you don't just run them over with value. I think this is going to play insanely well in the white aggressive decks. So here was my thinking was like, if this is in your opener, you're almost certainly not casting Tears Blessing is my guess, unless it like doesn't horrifically make you play off curve. Like maybe you can cast, you know, you play your two drop attack they think they can trade you use tears blessing and then you play another two drop but if like your hand is two drop three drop four drop you're never casting tears blessing in that situation right i mean assume you're saying assuming you're curving into blessed hippogriff on four yes i don't think i'm ever curving into this without playing tears blessing i think that is not the correct way to play this card <laughs> i mean that's maybe that's my feeling maybe i mean but the times you do that are going to be few and far between and when you do you're probably going to be steamrolling your opponent right 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 and then i guess when you top deck it if you have an attack it's going to be great because you'll be able to cast tears blessing and then cast this in the same turn and this kind of mitigates the risk of combat tricks right a little bit 
I mean, I guess not, because if your creature gets killed out from under Tears Blessing, you lose the Hippogriff also. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's I not just, ideal. It sounds like you think you're casting Tears Blessing a lot more than I do, and that's probably where our grading difference is. Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. Next up, we've got Devoted Paladin. This is four and a white for a 4-4 four, four. when ETBs, creatures you control, get plus one, plus one, and gain Vigilance until end of turn. You gave us a D, I gave us a C. It sounds like we just like plus one, plus one, and Vigilance in different amounts based on our <laughs> Steadfast Unicorn conversation. And maybe maybe I'm unfairly just remembering this card being kind of a clunker in AFR because I remember being excited about this because I thought this effect was really good, but then it not panning out well. But maybe it's going to pan out better here. I don't know. Yeah, I think this is probably just we think the same thing about the card and I'm a little more optimistic about it than you are. I don't think we really need to get into the weeds on this one. All right. Well, let's get into the weeds on the next one. We've got Borskir Tollkeeper. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. This is one on a white for a 3-1 Orc Knight and says when it enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals all creature and land cards in their hand. Choose one of them. That card perpetually gains this permanent enters the battlefield tap. I gave this a D plus, you gave this a C plus. This just seems like a lot of text for a two mana three one. I love this card. I think it's more than that, right? At, at worst, I think this is a C, but I really like C plus for a couple reasons. One, you're going to want this in a white deck. I'm a little less jazzed about it. I didn't quite know there was as much X1 hate as there was, but I think knowing the opponent's hand is big value in an aggro deck, right? Like if you play this on two and you get to sculpt your game plan knowing what your opponent's likely to do on the next two to three turns when the game's in critical stages while you're the aggro deck, I think is really strong. I, I guess maybe I'm undervaluing the the knowledge you gain there. I, I just I'm, I'm very, very cautious of X1s in this format right now with like, we've got Shambling Ghast back, we've got Pilgrim's Eye that's going to be a, a really good pick. You know, if you're right about the two mana one one in green that when it dies, you get a land like, I, I don't know. It makes me nervous for these one toughness creatures. I hear all that. I'll come down to C, but I, I do like getting to look at the opponent's hand. And then the one thing coming in tapped is is big game in an aggro deck if you're doing aggro, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that seems fair. Uh, next up, we got Moradin's Disciples. What's going on there? This is three and a white for a two, three dwarf cleric with double team. And whenever it attacks, you tap target creature defending player controls. You gave us a C. I gave us a B minus. Apparently, I just love magic cards more than you do. Is that true? Is that what we're going with? I, I do think I'm actually wrong about this i think this is at least a c plus i could definitely see b minus i am again i am cautious similarly with the hippogriff i'm cautious about these obviously this card is great at parity great in developing great when you're ahead like crushing when you're ahead honestly um i'm just i get nervous about these four mana two threes anytime i'm not even just even if i'm an aggro deck but not on the play this card's just a lot worse you know so like 50 percent of the time this isn't gonna be that good i that seems like a bit of an over exaggeration yeah to that's, me. Pro that's probably true and like backed backed up by tricks and and what if you ever if you can get that one attack and then you get two of these on the board it's just how does your opponent ever you just force your opponent to race yeah i think this just warps the game when it yeah. comes down I, I think you're putting it in an aggressive deck and you're supposed to build your aggro decks like you are the beatdown, and this is yeah premium when you are the beatdown. all right i'll go i'll go b minus on uh on Moradin's disciples all right moving on to blue 
First up, we've got Charm Sleep. One blue blue for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature. When Charm Sleep enters the battlefield, tap enchant a creature. Enchant a creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Yeah, I'm a, maybe I was in a cranky mood. I gave this a D. You gave this a C. You're you're usually uh, this is how, but this is how it always works, right? I'm a more skeptical grader <laughs> than you. You're a very optimistic grader. But Charm Sleep is who cares about this card? This is not a good card. I agree. It's a C. It's a fine removal spell. It's going to be good against some decks that don't have ways to abuse it, like against green decks or whatever. And it's going to be terrible against the the black red sacrifice decks. I think this is a fine removal spell. We're probably saying the same thing with different grades, like maybe it's a C minus and we whatever shouldn't be arguing about it. But this does at some times do the thing you need to do. Yeah, I guess if you find yourself drafting blue first, you need to think long and hard about your life <laughs> about choices. why you're drafting blue. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then I guess maybe you need to take charmed sleep or whatever. But I am not excited about this card at all. And I don't think I'm going to miss it. And I think I feel like replaceable is is right with charm sleep. Next, we've got pseudo dragon familiar two and a blue for a two one with flying. And you can pay two and a blue to give target creature flying until end of turn. I gave this a D plus you gave it a C. Pilgrim's Eye just laughs at this card. That is true. Yeah, Pilgrim's <laughs> Eye is really good. I mean, <laughs> it's really good. We're not here to discuss Pilgrim's Eye, though. Like, <laughs> and not everybody's going to have a Pilgrim's Eye on the battlefield 24-7. I mean, <sighs> this I is a cheap dragon in a color that cares about dragons. There's also some like random blue aggro looking cards too this time around that might be good enough to get there. Like the blue can play a tempo game plan. Um, it's got a really good two drop that's maybe difficult to block in Wizened Gith Zerai, which is like 2-1. And whenever it deals combat damage to a thing, that creature gets minus 2, minus 0 perpetually. So I don't know. I think the makings are there. And it's it's difficult to find playable cards in blue. And I thought Pseudo Dragon <laughs> looked particularly playable to me. So this is a sort of like sympathetic C, like a, a pity C grade. You're like, blue, your cards are all bad, so I'll give this bad card a C. I mean, it's not a, it's, this is a fine card. You're going to be in a spot at some point where your opponent's going to activate this twice and kill you. It's a fine three drop. It's a C. My feeling is just like three mana two one flyers were like bad 15 years ago. <laughs> or like 15 years ago, I was like, this seems kind of small. And like, it's still kind of small. It's still kind of small. I agree. Maybe it's a C minus. I don't know. But it is yeah, better than right. a D plus. It's in my top blue commons, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. <laughs> well, my- that says way more about blues commons than anything. <laughs> uh, we got to you, you, We got to get you off of the uh, scroll thief cantripping creatures when they hit opponent stuff goggles of night is next this is one of the blue for an equipment i feel like we argue about these kinds of cards every set whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player scry one then draw a card and it has an equip cost of two i gave this an f you gave this a d plus can i this make is... a confession i what? lowered my grade a little bit after seeing you and alex <laughs> giving this an f but i have an unapologetic love for this effect and i yes, think you do this is yes, you do a good card all you have to do is connect once and this replaces itself. It threatens to snowball. This is like a bad version of Staggering Insight, which is not a bad card. Okay, that is, that is an atrocious comparison. <laughs> staggering Insight gave plus one, plus one, and lifelink. Yeah, I, like I said, a bad version of Staggering Insight. Uh, this card, what, what was your initial grade? Fess up. <laughs> this is a solid C. I like this type of card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think this I think you uh, you'd be do well to never put this in your deck. Uh, what's the over under you think of times you will include goggles of night in your deck? Ah, uh, I mean, blues 
I that's factored in by how little I'm going to be drafting blue, but I think I would set the over under at like 2.5. We'll have to check. We'll go to the tapes in a, in a few months. And <laughs> the we'll 17 see. lands data. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Next up, we've got Seek New Knowledge. One in a blue for an instant. Seek two non-land cards and put a card from your hand on the bottom of your library. You give us a C. I gave this a D. I'm finally lower than you. Finally. Finally, I have a higher grade th- than, uh, than you on a card. Yeah. So my feeling about this card is one, I just feel like in general, raw card draw just doesn't get there these days anymore you know blue has a a handful of just like you know it's got the four mana draw two at common and i think there's like an uncommon that's like a six mana draw three or something but it costs less for some other stuff i don't know i'm not into those cards i'm slightly more into this card because seeking knowledge seeks two non-land cards so you know the two cards you're drawing are going to be gas and then in theory i think you know the the ideal situation is Pay two, you're drawing two spells, and then you bottom a land. But you can always just bottom any card if you want to. Now, this doesn't help you if you keep, like, you know, a five-spell, two-land hand. This is not going to dig you towards lands, like sort of a charter course effect might. But I think the fact that this is always going to hit gas, and you just, like, sort of know that when you include it, or, like, know that in terms of how it's going to play out, I think that puts it above a replacement level for me. Yeah, I'm knocking this pretty hard for not doing what you described in that you can't cast it on turn two to find land drops because that's a big part of the value of card draw spells like this, right? Yes. No, I I think so. Well, I don't think I don't think so. Personally, I want to be casting my card draw spells as like the last thing I'm doing. I'm not interested in playing divination on turn three. Now, if I have nothing else to do or whatever, sure, I'll I'll do that. But I would much rather affect the board early and then use my card draw spell as sort of the last thing I do to refill my hand, which Seek New Knowledge does really well in terms of it's so cheap, it's only two mana. So you can likely also double spell with it on whatever turn five or six. I agree that all those things are true. I just don't think you need that effect. And I think the fact that this can't find lands when the game's going poorly for you is a big problem because if the game's going well for you, you probably don't need seek new knowledge. So the only scenario where this is good is when like you're at parity at the end of the game and you're divinating for two guaranteed cards. I mean, and it is very good in that scenario, but I think that's such a narrow window. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe it's just bad, uh, but I, I was just thinking that because it's so cheap and because it's guaranteed gas, that that was more of a, a positive than a negative. I, I think it is not just bad. Like, I'm probably too low on it. It's probably closer to C minus or something. Like, I should come up on it, but I think you're maybe giving it a bit more credit than I would. Yeah, maybe. Next up, we've got Dream Fracture. This is one blue blue for an instant at common. Counter target spell, its controller draws a card, and you draw a card. You give us a D, Alex gave it a D plus, and I gave it a C. So we've got the whole gamut here. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is like cancel. Maybe it's like slightly better than cancel because of the, the double cantrip for you and your opponent. But at the end of the day, it's cancel. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this theoretical blue tempo deck that I've constructed in my head, which is probably where my C grade came from. This is not a great it's card, not, but it is. Good. It's closer to remand than you would think at first glance right like it's similar to that type of card which is powerful like i mean if you get in the right game state similar to seek new knowledge if you get in the right game state 
Dream Fracture is backbreaking for your opponent. But, but why is it back more backbreaking than a cancel? Because uh, you get to draw the card, right? It tempos your opponent out. I guess it's different so than Remand because so they. they get a new thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. This card, fine. this card is just cancel. It's just not, cancel. Like, D. D. All right. Oh, Sold. Got him. Next up, we've got Irenicus's Vile Duplication. This is three and a blue for a sorcery. Create a token that's a copy of target creature you control, except the token has flying and isn't legendary if that creature is legendary. I gave this a C. You gave this a D minus, close to an F for Mr. Warney. Um, So we usually get this effect for a mana cheaper, right? The, the clone effect, but you can only clone your stuff, right? Yes. And so you're paying a mana more, but it has flying, and that's kind of good and like depends on what you're copying like you know if you again if you copy your steadfast paladin now you have a four mana two two flying lifelink that doesn't sound great to me when you have to have drawn the steadfast paladin in tandem with this like yeah. look this is blue what blue creatures do you want to copy with this oh none i look that but that can't be the argument right because then all these cards get d minuses like um you know you're gonna be pairing blue with another color and i think also i do i do really think that single pipped blue cards are gonna be higher value because it means blue doesn't have to be your like base like you can be like a 10 7 split that's another like knock against charm sleep in my mind a lot but i don't know i'm not like insanely excited about this card but i think it's I think D minus is way too harsh. You're never casting this into open mana. It, it, maybe it's a D. This is not a good card. I, I would also like the over under on how many times you think you're including this. Well, if I can if I can get away with 2.5, I'll take that. I definitely will t- I'll, I'll put this in more than three decks, probably. All right, let's let's see. Well, let us we will see. We will see, won't we? Oh, and it is important to note on Arenicus's vile duplication that unlike versions of this we've seen in the past, this doesn't ETB and then you choose. You have to target this on casting. Right. So you can get blown out savagely by removal. You're never casting it into open mana. <laughs> like, look, I, I I heard you. I didn't say I didn't say you weren't right. I didn't say you weren't right. <laughs> it is. It, there's there's certainly set up there. All right. Well, I think we had a lot more disagreements in white and blue than we will for the other colors. Moving on to black. We just have a couple cards to take a look at. First up is Ghost Lantern. It's a single black for an artifact equipment. This is an adventure. So the the artifact side is whenever a creature you control dies put a plus one plus one counter on equipped creature has an equipped cost of one and then the adventure is bind spirit one in a black for an instant return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand i gave this a c minus you gave this a c plus yeah i like this card i think this is a lot of small things rolled into a pretty efficient card that makes it a good card. Like you're not really happy with buying spirit, right? That's too much to pay for that effect. But the equipment side of this is super efficient. And again, like you wouldn't play that card on its own. But the fact that you probably get a two for one out of this because you like the effect and there's a sacrifice theme in the set. I think so. You're going to be able to control when creature dies in black a fair amount of the time, I think. Um, that makes me excited about this card. I think it does a lot of small things really well and really efficiently. Yeah, I could go up to like Synergy C, maybe even Synergy C plus. And I think it doesn't have to just be in black red. I think like black X probably has a lot of self-contained sacrifice stuff. I didn't quite think about that. Like there's a lot, you know, there's Skullport Merchant, there's Sepulcher Ghoul. So I, I don't know, but it's not really a two for one, right? Buying Spirit is the actual card of value. Ghost Lantern isn't a card. That's not a card you would ever put in your deck. Yes, I agree. You would never put that okay. card in your deck. But that tacked on to Bind Spirit right, is right. pretty appealing, I think. Yes, I think that's true. But I just I was just pushing back on the, the two for one label here. Yes. 
Okay, next up we've got Bone Caller Cleric. This is one and a black for a 2-1, and you can pay three and a black to sacrifice this to return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. You activate that only as a sorcery. You give us a C minus, I give us a C plus. I'm pretty excited about this black green reanimator deck. Yeah, and I do like this is just a split card, right? It's a two mana two one when you need it. And then in the late game, it's just four black black. Get back the best thing in your graveyard because this doesn't require you to tap it to activate this. Um, And that is a pretty darn good split card. I'll come up to C plus with you. I I like this. All right, moving on to red. We've got one disagreement here in Warriors of Tiamat. You gave us a C plus. I gave this a D. This is four and a red for a four two dragon warrior with haste and it has double team. Yeah, I think this card is like really good. I don't know why, but like this is going to have a good attack and maybe even it just trades down. But like it's a four two with haste that draws you a four two with haste immediately. That's so good. I don't understand how you can hate the Riveteers four two haste and like this card because this is wait whoa my problem with the riveteers for two haste first of all why are we talking about streets of new capenna <laughs> second of all the reason i hate the four two haste is because it's three different colors of mana like it's a weird thing it's a weird thing to have an aggro card that's three colors i guess but this is five mana for a four two haste so this is a great curve topper for any aggro deck i think because it's going to trade with a two drop and then force you to spend another five mana to play another four two that's I don't know, man. This seems bad to me. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think so. I mean, maybe maybe C plus is too high. Maybe it's a C, but I, I definitely think this is above replacement value. I think this does something pretty darn unique. That's what I was about to ask. Like, are you sad if you are in white, red aggro and you don't have a copy of Warriors of Tiamat? I think I am. I That's where we're different. I just cannot imagine caring about this card ever. Yeah. Wow, but, that's so interesting. So you like... This is so you like the paladin at the top end, right? You like the five mana four four. Everything gets plus one plus one and vigilance for a turn as your like common curve topper. And I like this way more. Oh no, I would sign up for devoted paladin ten out of ten times. And maybe I'm way wrong. Like I do. It's odd that I like double team as much as I do, and I hate this card. <laughs> yeah, I, this card is. I'm very. I think this card's really really good. This reminds me of. Um, remember the five mana four two with mentor. In uh, yes, in Guilds of Ravnica, mm-hmm. this this reminds me of that. Like the fact that this is just gonna like come out of nowhere, threaten a, a good chunk of damage. Sure, the times when they have their two mana two one back, you're gonna feel kind of bad, but you're still trading, and then you're still getting another card that gets a gets an attack next turn. I think this just I think this really does what you want your red aggro decks to do, which is hit with haste and draw a card that's gonna hit with haste. Yeah. maybe i'll come up to see i guess it's either gonna be one of us is gonna be right one of us is gonna be right there's gonna be no in between this is either gonna be the curve topper that you want or you're never gonna care about it i I don't think there's much middle ground i agree with that moving on to green we've got one card to chat about and it's a reprint this is you meet in a tavern it's two green green says choose one You can either look at the top five cards of your library and reveal any number of creature cards from among them and put them into your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order, or creatures you control get plus two, plus two until end of turn. I gave this a C, you gave this a D. Am I just, is this card just terrible? Did you ever cast this card in Adventures in Forgotten Realm? Maybe not. (laughs) Sure I did. This is not a good card. All right, I'll I'll come down to D. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I was, I was caught off guard here. All right, moving on to gold cards. We've got Kaga Shadow Archdruid up first. 
This is two black green for a one four. And whenever it attacks, it gains death touch until end of turn and you mill two cards. Once during each of your turns, you can play a land or cast a permanent spell from among cards in your graveyard that were put there from your library this turn. I gave us a C plus. You give us a C minus. I was a little, again, knocking it as a four mana one four plane when you cast it, right? That like, this doesn't block particularly well, right? It's Glittermonger effectively, if we're going to be bringing up streets cards all the time here. <laughs> uh, like if this just had Death Touch all the time, it'd be so sick. But the fact that it doesn't only gets Death Touch on attacks, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Stat-wise, it's a little lacking. I'm hoping it's going to pull its weight synergy-wise, and it's going to block some random two ones. You just think like, if you build around this and your other cards are putting things into the graveyard from your library, if you got other self mill, this is going to pull its weight. Right. And I do think there is a lot of other self mill and it might be like I hadn't really thought about the stats that much. This might be like a Sheshra Death's Whisper right. scenario or like whatever it was from the last time we had mm-hmm. the, the black green common that looked good but was understated. It does have another point of toughness, though, which is a big deal. Like four is a lot yes. more than three. Yes. But I, I I take your point about the body being underwhelming. I don't know. I still like this card, I think. Yeah, okay. I, I'm into it. And you might not even need to give it like a synergy or build around grade because that just might be what black green decks are doing all the time. Yeah. The other card we want to look at here is Lozon Dragon's Legacy. This is three blue red for a four two dragon shaman with flying. Whenever you cast an adventure spell or dragon spell, Lozon Dragon's Legacy deals damage equal to that spell's mana value to any target that isn't a commander. I'll come up on this. I, I knocked this a bit too much for its stats as well. I gave it a C minus. You gave it a C plus. I, I was a little, again, five mana four two. Yes, it has flying, but eh, I don't know. But I also think if you untap with this, it's going to be oppressive. Right. This is going to be must kill when it hits the battlefield. Yeah. That's yeah. good. I mean, and, it and is so the easy time... to kill, but it's yes. going to be must kill. <laughs> right. When, when your opponent just goes, okay, improvised weaponry that, you feel really bad. But when they don't, when you just untap with it and take over the game, it's going to feel really good. So, yeah, I'll come up to C plus with you. All right. No other disagreements. How, how do you feel? I feel like I, I just came out with a few bruises, a few scrapes from that uh, that bout there. I'm okay. I am very <laughs> confident un- about unscarred. <laughs> I'm about I'm very confident about my assessments. The one card I have some doubt on now is Warriors of Tiamat, the red 4-2 Haster. I'm I'm less confident about that one. Okay, okay, okay. Uh well let's get on to our top commons and uncommons in each color. Going to white first. What's going on with you? In my number three slot, I've got Soldiers of the Watch, which is one in a white for a two-one with double team. That is my number three as well. In the number two slot, I have Steadfast Paladin. That's one and a white for a 2-2 with lifelink. That didn't crack my top three. I've got Priest of Ancient Lore in the number two slot. That's two and a white for the 2-1. When ETBs, you gain a life draw card. Yep, that's my number one. And my number one, as mentioned earlier, is Blessed Hippogriff, the three and a white for the 2-3 flying. And whenever it attacks, you can give a creature without flying, flying until end of turn. And then it's got the adventure that is white for an instant, give target creature indestructible until end of turn. Yeah, that might be my big mistake here is not including that in my top white commons. Moving on to white uncommons. In the number two slot, I've got Rasad Monk of Saloon. This is two and a white for a 2-2 with specialized five. And when ETBs exile target creature and opponent controls until this leaves the battlefield. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is our first specialized card. I think let's let's take a second here to read what this does. So this is effectively like, you know, Fiend Hunter, Banisher Priest style card, three mana, two, two, exile a creature. And then the specialized five, so pay five, discard either a land or a, a spell and whatever color that is, you flip it into one of these five versions. And they all flip into four fours. 
Uh, they will have new mana value. So in case they whatever die or go back to your hand, you recast it. The mono white one is a 4-4. It says when this specializes, target creature card exiled with this creature perpetually loses all abilities and has base power and toughness 1-1. We've got Rasad Dragon Monk, which is when this dies, create two 1-1 blue fairy dragon creature tokens with flying. Uh, the black version says when it dies, you make a 4-1 black skeleton creature token with menace. The red version, when it dies, you create three one one white soldier creature tokens. And the green version makes two 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 green boar creature tokens. So, you know, the white one just makes the creature worse when they get it back. And all the other ones are like, well, when this dies, you're going to get some kind of creature tokens associated with that color, whether they're flyers or the menace skeleton or the one one warriors, whatever. So they're all sort of created equal in that sense. Um, I have that as my number one uncommon. I think that card is nuts. My number two uncommon is Sea Tower Imprisonment. This is also nuts. Two white, white for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature or planeswalker you don't control. When ETBs conjure a card named Soldiers of the Watch onto the battlefield, that's the two one with double team. And enchanted permanent can't attack or block and its activated abilities can't be activated. This is like Sleep with the Fishes 2.0. Yeah, card is great. I want to go back to Rasad. I have a couple of questions for you. So first, is it true that after you specialize and your creature gets bounced, it stays on the specialized version? Yes. Okay, that's good to know. And then second question. So you Rasad Monk of Saloon, that's the OG card where you get the Fiend yeah. Hunter effect. And then uh -huh. you specialize it. They're still getting their creature back when the specialized version dies, correct? Correct. Yeah. But you just get the death trigger in addition to them getting their creature back. Right. But like, yeah, but so all of the Rasads mitigate that in some way, right? So either you flip it to the white one, and then when they get their creature back, their creature is just a derpy 1-1. One, one. Or all the other ones give you creatures instead. Right. Not instead, in addition to them getting their creature back, right? Right. They get their creature back, your and creature dies, but you get those tokens instead. Yeah. Yes. Okay, correct. All right. Moving on to blue commons. In the Ugh. number three slot, I've got pseudo dragon familiar, my boy. Two and a Oof. blue for a two one with flying and target creature gains flying until end of turn if you're willing to pay two and a blue. I went with... Uh, an overperformer from AFR in Air Cult Elemental, which is four blue blue for the two five with flying. When it ETBs, you return up to one other target creature to its owner's hand. I like an Air Cult Elemental. I respect that. Yeah. Moving on to the number two, I've got Young Blue Dragon. This is four and a blue for a three three flying, and it's got an adventure called Sand Augury, which is one and a blue for a sorcery, and you can scry one, draw a card. So this is kind of like Owlbear in installments. Yeah. And a dragon, which matters. Yeah, this card's very good. Yeah, that's my number two as well. And I think we have the same number one in Undersimplify. One on a blue for an instant. Choose target spell. If it's a creature spell, it perpetually gets minus two minus oh. And you counter that spell unless its controller pays two. Oh, I didn't even realize that. So even if you counter it, it still gets minus two minus oh. So it's still like, you know, if they have a, a way to recur the creature from your graveyard, even if you're successfully countering it, it's still nerfed. Yes. Undersimplify, as much as it pains me to put an effect like this as the top blue common, I think this is the real deal. Yeah, I think so too. Because the reason this is so good is the reason why I think Make, Make Disappear was so good is that one, it gives blue a good two drop, but two is that it's not dead in the late game. So even if they tap out for, or even if they don't tap out for a big creature later, you can still nerf it in some way, right? You still get to give it minus two, minus oh. So it's got sort of a split card thing going on yeah 
I agree. Moving on to the blue uncommons in the number two slot. I've got Val Eager Scholar. This is two and a blue for a two one with specialized five. And you can tap, draw a card, discard a card, and put a study counter on this. And then on the back sides of all of these, if you specialize, you're going to get a four three creature. And then you're going to get some sort of value based on the number of study counters that you put on Val. So ideally, you want to like rack up three, four, five study counters. The more study counters you have, the better before you go to specialize. So for example, the green one, um, when it specializes, you remove all the study counters and then you seek two creature cards with mana value less than or equal to the number of study counters. The red one deals damage equal to the number of study counters to a creature. The black one reanimates a creature with mana value less than the study counters. The blue one lets you look at cards and then put one into your hand equal to the number of study counters. The white one gives you plus one, plus one counters that you can distribute among your creatures equal to the number of study counters. So pretty powerful effects, assuming that you can get a significant number of study counters on Val before you flip her. Yeah, I didn't put Val in my top uncommons. I was a little knocked at four, three mana, two on looters, not being great, and the specialized cost being five, but... Uh... Could definitely be wrong there. My number two uncommon in blue is Sword Coast Serpent. This is five blue blue for a six six serpent dragon, and it can't be blocked as long as you've cast a non-creature spell this turn. And it even comes with an adventure. Capsizing wave, one on a blue, return target creature to its owner's hand. Well, that's the reason it's good, right? Is the adventure. Otherwise, it would be horrifically clunky. Yes, if it was just the creature, it would be horrifically clunky. But the fact that it is the adventure, that you get this bounce spell, and then along the way, you're going to get to cast... Uh, a seven mana six six that some amount of the time will even be unblockable. I think this card's the real deal. Yeah, card's very good. I like that card a lot. In the number one slot, I've got Juvenile Mist Dragon, three blue blue for the four three of flying. And when it ETBs for each opponent, tap up to one target creature that player controls. Each of those creatures doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Yes, Chili Bee is back at uncommon with some more power. I've got that at number one as well. Looking at black, black has no shortage of good commons to choose from. I put Sepulcher Ghoul in the number three slot. This is one in a black for a 2-2. I believe we get the alchemy version of this in limited. It's one in a black for a 2-2. It's a zombie. You sacrifice another creature. It gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Activate only once each turn. That's better than it was, correct? Yes, it was a 2-1 before. Now it's a 2-2. Yeah, why? I don't understand. Here's how busted black is. I love that card, and it didn't crack my top commons. And I've even got an honorable mention here. I cheated. I want to see what your impression of this card is. So in my honorable mention, I've got Hook Horror. Four and a black for a 3-3, and when it dies, it perpetually gets minus one, minus one. Then if that card's toughness is one or greater, return to the battlefield under its owner's control. So this is 3-3. The first time it dies, it comes back as a 2-2. And then the next Mm -hmm. time it dies, it comes back as a 1-1 before finally dying. I think this card is really cool. I think that card's really, really cool. Um, Something to think about. So it's got like double persist effectively. So then you will never be able to, once it dies, dies right after it's a 3-3 into a 2-2 into a 1-1. You'll never be able to get it back, right? Because it'll be a 0-0. Yes. But I agree. I think that card's really good. Yeah. Super duper sweet. So I think that's my honorable mention. Number three slot, I've got Vampire Spawn, just two in a black for the two, three. When ETBs, you drain two, gain two. Yeah, that didn't make my top three, but that's just because black is busted. In the number two spot, I have Guild Sworn Prowler. This card is wildly good. One in a black for a two, one with Death Touch. When it dies, if it wasn't blocking 
draw a card. Yeah, this just does everything you want. It's excellent on offense, excellent on defense. That is also my number two black common. In the number one slot, I've got Grim Bounty, two black black, destroy target creature or planeswalker, create a treasure token. Yep, that's my number one as well. Moving on to the uncommons. In my number two spot, I've got Vaconia, Night Singer's Disciple. This is a specialized card. It's one on a black for a two three. It has the activated ability of one exile target card from a graveyard, and it has a cheap specialized cost of just two. Uh, it flips into a 3-4, and all the variations let you basically conjure a duplicate of a creature card exiled with this um, into your hand with some additional buffs on it. That's my number two as well. In the number one slot, I assume we are lined up on Skullport Merchant. This card Oof. is the business. Two and a black for a 1-4. When it ETBs, you make a treasure token, and you can pay one and a black, sacrifice another creature or a treasure to draw a card. Yeah. It's good to see, after all those arguments, good to see us mostly lined up here with our, our rankings. Moving on to red, I've got my my boy here, Warriors of Tiamat, four and a red for a 4-2 with haste and double team in my number three slot. Wow. What a hot take. I love it. All right. And the number three, I've got Hobgoblin Captain. This is one and a red for a 3-1. It's got pack tactics. And whenever you attack with power six or greater, this gains first strike until end of turn. What do you think about this? So this Hobgoblin Captain, we were hot on. Then Shambling Gas was the business and we were less hot on. What do you think? You think it's going to hold up? I think it was still a fine card by the end of the format. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. it was quite as premium as we thought initially, but this is a good red aggressive creature. And I think red looks like it really wants to beat down like Battlecry Goblins still in the format. You're going to want to curve Hobgoblin Captains with Battlecry Goblin. Like it's just, it's just a good card. Yeah. In my number two slot, I gave the nod to the Steel and Sack deck. I've got Incessant Provocation, three and a red for a sorcery, gain control of target creature until end of turn, untap it, gains haste until end of turn, and it perpetually gains. This creature attacks each combat if able. Are you just picking that, assuming that red black's going to be great again and going into the yeah. format? You're just you're just taking it aggressively because you want to get into red black? I, I think so, yeah. I like, thought I, I didn't, about... I didn't do that at all with Price of Loyalty in AFR. I was sort of just like... I don't know. That was back in my I'm against data days and stuff. And I think <laughs> like, yes, incessant provocation is not going to be good outside of red black. But I think that deck is going to be so good and going to be able to support multiple drafters that I think you can take provocation aggressively. There are a few less sack outlets this time around than there were last time. Also, that is true. Or am I imagining that? Is that true? There might know. be. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> You've got like Skullport Merchant, Sepulchre Ghoul, and Deadly Dispute. Yeah. What else, What are we missing? I don't know. That's that's the... That's the trifecta? That's okay. the trinity right there. Never mind. All right. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I thought about putting that as my number three red common. It If Black Red is great again, which it looks like it will be, it probably is a higher pick than Hobgoblin Captain if you're fighting over that archetype. In the number two slot, I've got Genasi Rabble Rouser. Love this card. This is one in a red for a one three with double team, and you can pay one in a red to give creatures you control named Genasi Rabble Rouser plus one plus oh until end of turn. This might be my favorite card in the format. Yeah, it's a really good card. Maybe that should be my red honorable mention. I like it a lot. Uh, number one, I assume we're lined up with Dragon's Fire, the one on a red deal three. And then if you have a dragon and player in your hand, you can instead choose to have it deal damage equal to that card's power instead. Yes, love Dragon's Fire. Moving on to red uncommons, the number two slot. I've got Mephit's Enthusiasm. 
It says one in red for a sorcery, deals four to a creature or planeswalker. If excess damage was dealt this way, you note the excess damage and then get a boon with whenever you cast your next creature spell, it perpetually gets plus X plus O, where X is the noted number. Uh, in my number two red uncommons, I've got Goot or Gut, Fanatical Priestess. This is four red red for a four three. When it enters the battlefield, up to one target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. If the creature you don't control would die this turn, exile it instead. And then this is a specialized card, so you can pay five, which is a hefty specialized cost. But then what you get to do is all the variations give you a copy of the card that you killed. So you create a copy of the exiled card, except it's got different power depending on the, the color. So like the blue one's a 3-3 three, three flyer, the, the black one is a 4-4 four, four with menace, etc. Sweet. And moving on, <laughs> I, I hate specialized <laughs> so much. <laughs> If that hasn't come across this podcast. Uh, sweet. Great. Is he done talking yet? Cool story, bro. Cool story. I'm, what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the meme? meme? Yeah. I, yeah I, uh, sorry about not all, gonna that. Read all that. I'm, I'm either yeah. happy for you or sorry about yeah. that, but I'm not going to read all that. Yeah. <laughs> and then one slot, I've got Battlecry Goblin. This is absolutely busted, and I assume it is your number one as well. This is one yes, in red sir. for the 2-2. Two, two. And you can pay one and a red to give goblins you control plus one plus oh and haste until end of turn. And it's got pack tactics uh, that if you attacked with power six or greater, you make a one one goblin token. Now, there are like less goblins floating around than there were in AFR, but that's not going to make this card any less good. Yeah, card is primo. Looking at green in the number three common, I've got band together. It's two and a green for an instant, up to two target creatures you control, each deal damage equal to their power to another target creature. Yeah, that card is good. It didn't quite make my list. Uh, I've got in the number three slot, Underseller Myconid, two and a green for a one-two. When ETBs are dies, you create a one-one green sapling creature token, tap, add one mana of any color. Maybe now that I know this has a death trigger, maybe it's number two. I still think I like the two-drop ramper more. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I have actually Underseller Myconid as my number one green uh in the number two slot i've got trusty owlbear uh three green green for a four four with trample and when it etbs you draw a card scaled nurturer is my number two i've got one and a green for the o2 dragon druid taps to add green and when you spend this mana to cast a dragon creature spell you gain two life yeah card's good i think ramping from two to four looked more important but i could see underseller mike and it being better than scale nurture regardless green looks like it wants to ramp and it is going to mm-hmm. be very good at it yeah i make i mean i don't know how good the deck will be but it does look kind of supported i am interested in like green blue splash red green red splash blue dragons for sure yeah and then after scale nurture in my number one slot i've got owlbear 3gg for the 4-4 with trample draw card nice moving on to the uncommons i've got draconic muralists three and a green for a 4-3 dragon bard and when it dies you may search your library for a dragon card reveal it put it into your hand then shuffle that is also my number two love that card yeah it's gonna be terrifying to see that on the other side of the battlefield it's like what's it called from call time the it was like the five four that searched up lindworm it's like that but way better yes (laughs) it's gonna get some mythic rare that's gonna destroy you (laughs) which is so much more supported like it was hard like you'd see that card and you'd be like i hope i get a ravenous lindworm this is like there's like 23 dragons or whatever and that's not even counting the rares yeah it's gonna be very good moving on to the number one this card is bonkers <laughs> this is druid of the emerald grove this is three and a green for a two two uh it enters the battlefield you search your library for up to two basic land cards and reveal them then roll a d20 one to nine if you low roll you get to put them both in your hand which is 
a great Magic the Gathering card. Yes. 10, to, 10 to 19, if you high roll, you get to put one onto the battlefield tapped and the other in your hand, which is insane. And if you are so lucky to roll a 20, both of them go on the battlefield tapped, which is unbeatable, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if that's the thing that makes this so backbreaking is like whether or not they are already into in play, whether or not you're ramping from four to six. It just doesn't matter. You roll a dice and you're very happy. Yes. Four mana two two draw you can't two lose. lands. You can't, you can't is lose. So good. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. That is my number one as well. All right, we did it. Made it through another crash course. Uh any final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, I am bummed at the number of AFR cards that are in the format without changes. I think that is a missed opportunity for our audience. And like maybe we're too niche of an audience for them to want to worry about that, but that was a bummer for me. I was I was super hyped for the format and that that brought me down a peg. But I am still it's a new draft format. There's going to be sweet things going on. I am looking forward to it. But I think that is a missed opportunity. I totally agree. I have the same thoughts. Um, it feels a little cobbled together in my mind. And also, I feel like it's it's under the radar like this. Again, I just want to reiterate, this is the set for the next couple months. If you're playing on Arena, like this is the thing. This is going to be available in Best of Three as well, which is where I'll be hanging out. This is, as I said, it's the MCQ. It's the format for the Arena Open. So we'll definitely be prepping for that. Um, so we're going to be diving into this format over the next couple months, right? Before Dominaria United comes out. Yeah, looking forward to spending some time in Baldur's Gate with you. Sweet. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you over there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben's going to squeak in those last few days of summer break over at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, and shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.